Happy Wednesday. We're halfway through the week. It's beautiful this morning. It's still going to be hot today, but at least this morning it's somewhat nice out as we begin the day together. I'm Adam Wright. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. We've got quite a few things in store for you today. I'm really excited about today's show. So let's get to it. Let's begin with our morning offering in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. We dedicate all of our thoughts, words, and actions to the greater glory of God in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're so happy to be with you this morning as always. Today on the show, we are going to focus on getting ready for a particular saint's feast day. In fact, our patronal feast here in the city I call home and our Archdiocese of St. Louis is coming up on this Friday. But how we are preparing to celebrate for our patronal feast and how we've done that in the past might shed some light on ways that you can celebrate for your patronal feast days, whether that's your own baptismal name, your confirmation name, your parish's patronal feast, your your family's patronal feast, whatever it may be. So you're going to want to pay attention to some things on the show today. You might get some great ideas from that. We're also going to continue with Father Rainier, our questions from children. And then for our radio listeners this morning, we do want to continue our series with Father Ripperger, Nine Ways to Be an Accomplice to Sin, otherwise known as a lesson on what not to do. Uh, if you want to be holy. So that's all ahead, but let's go first to Mike Roberts for our weather. Let's find out how hot it's going to be and how long it's going to be hot. I have, any, I have a feeling the answer is it's going to be really hot for a long time. But then we'll also hear about our saint of the day, so at least that'll be happy. Let's go to Mike now. Today is the feast day of St. Rose of Lima. Born in Lima, Peru in 1598, Rose was the daughter of Gaspar and Olivia and came from a large family. When she was still very young, she developed a devotion to St. Catherine of Siena, fasting three times a day and spending as much time as possible in front of the Eucharist. At the age of 12, Rose entered the Third Order of St. Dominic, taking the habit of a tertiary and often wearing a crown of small thorns. By this time, she was also having mystical experiences. In spite of having this great devotion, her parents refused to let Rose enter a convent and wanted her to get married. Then Rose's mother had a vision of the Blessed Mother who gave her a rose and said, This rose represents your daughter, my son's cherished flower. I plucked her for him from your garden, and he will not let her go. Only see how grateful he is to you for having tended her for him and for having given her to me. When the family ran into financial difficulties, Rose worked all day in the garden and spent the night sewing, which she had time to do because out of mortification, she only let herself sleep for two hours a night. And in spite of the fact that she lived in relative seclusion, many came to know of her great faith and mystical experiences. Rose died at the age of just 31 and 16 17. St. Rose of Lima, pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. Saint of the Day can arrive each morning by subscribing on your favorite podcast player. Search Covenant Network to see all our podcasts. The Memorari to St. Joseph for the Sanctification of Families. 
Remember, O most chaste spouse of the Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who implored thy help and sought thy intercession was left unaided. Full of confidence in thy power, I fly unto thee and beg thy protection of families. Despise not, O guardian of the Redeemer, my humble prayer, but in thy bounty hear and answer me. Amen. It is no secret to you, our listeners, that we are based out of St. Louis, Missouri, here at Covenant Network and on Roadmap to Heaven. And while we enjoy being with you each morning in Springfield and Cape Girardeau and Jefferson City and Peoria and Terre Haute and beyond, we call St. Louis our home. And we are getting ready for our patronal feast day this Friday, the Feast of St. Louis IX, King of France. And this is something we encourage all the time on the show. Find out who your patron saints are and celebrate them. This isn't a new tradition. In fact, this is one that goes back many years. And here to share some of those stories with us is the archivist for the Archdiocese of St. Louis, Eric Fair. Eric, it's great to have you with us on Roadmap to Heaven. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for having me. So when we say the celebration of our patron saint, in particular, we're talking about St. Louis IX, uh, goes back a ways how far back does this celebration here in this area go? Well, I would I would say that um, you know as long as there's been a St. Louis city, uh, there's been a veneration and celebration of St. Louis. Um, and you can really trace it all the way back to when uh, Pierre Laclede and Auguste Choteau land in 1764 and decided this is the place they're going to dis- they're going to name their city. Uh, they were both French. Uh, technically, this was Spanish territory, but everybody that was with them on their on their um, expedition was French. Uh, the pat- one of the patron saints of France is Saint Louis the Ninth, King of France. Uh, so that was what they decided was an appropriate name for their new city that they were founding. Uh, and uh, so they were both very religious. Uh, they did not have a priest with them at the time, but they knew. They would always want a church at that particular site. So from the moment that founded that city, they had a site for the church. That church was always going to be named for St. Louis. Uh, So the first permanent structure goes up in 1770. And from that time on, there has always been a church named for St. Louis the Ninth, King of France. And when we talk about our spiritual traditions, every year the patronal feast of a parish is treated with the rank of a solemnity. It's a very solemn occasion. It's a very joyful occasion. So if your parish is St. Michael's on St. Michael's Feast Day, it's a big deal. But not only are we talking about a church named for St. Louis, we're talking about a city named for St. Louis. And and I love how you say from the very beginning, because I think of the arch as kind of a good focus point for our listeners. If you've ever been to the arch, you've seen the old cathedral, the site of that first parish. But north of the arch, at Laclede's Landing, appropriately named, there, there's a little statue. It's not really a little statue. It's bigger than I am. Uh, but you might miss it. Just just below the Eads Bridge, there's a statue commemorating the landing of That's Pierre correct. Laclede and, and August Shoto. August Shoto. Yeah. yeah. So uh, an easy walk from the old cathedral That's to right. the site where they landed. Now, when we talk about this church, which we today call the old cathedral, it's had a couple of different names. So first, you said the Church of St. Louis. That's right. I mean, as, as it started, it was we were not a we were not a seat of a bishop. We were a small town. At first, we didn't even have a permanent priest. It was itinerant missionary priests that would come through and say mass. Uh, the first baptism was celebrated by one of those itinerant missionaries. 
And in fact, it was before there was a permanent structure. The quote in the Sacramento Register for the old cathedral says, in a tent for one of a church. Um, but yes, yeah, so there were, there were permanent structures starting in 1770. It was just a church, then it becomes a parish, and then it's not until 1818 when Louis uh, uh, William Valentine Duberg uh, is appointed Bishop of Louisiana and the Floridas, not uh, Bishop of St. Louis. At the time, this whole territory, basically everything west of the Mississippi and south to the Gulf of Mexico was part of Louisiana and the Floridas. So he was in Baltimore at the time that he's appointed. He starts to make his way west. Uh, he starts to ask people along the way, where would be a good place to put my seat? Um, he gets a lot of advice. Uh, some of the advice is not exactly positive towards New Orleans, but is positive toward this new town called St. Louis. And he gets more and more information that St. Louis may be the place that he wants to establish a seat. And so he does so, and he arrives here in 1818. And so the, the church goes from being a church to now a cathedral. So at that time, yes, it's a cathedral. Now, a couple years later, we actually do become the diocese of St. Louis. That's correct. And then not too long after that, about 25 years, if my memory serves, were elevated to the rank of an archdiocese. That's correct. At a certain point, though, there is need for a new cathedral. And I think of Cardinal Glennon. That was really his vision, was to build this grand church that we now just still stand in awe of on Lindell Avenue. Um, but all the time, that church under the arch that didn't even exist when it was built, the arch wasn't there, is still standing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, St. Louis just explodes in population, and I should say explodes in really Catholic population, almost all the immigrants that come here, first in waves of French, then in waves of Germans, and then in Irish and Poles and Eastern Europeans, they're almost all celebrate the Catholic faith. Um, <clears throat> so you start off in, in, you know, in 1826, once we do get named a diocese, the Diocese of St. Louis, um, that old cathedral becomes the Cathedral of St. Louis. Uh, then in 1847, we become the Archdiocese of St. Louis, all the while, the population of St. Louis is just exploding. I think by the early 20th century, we're the eighth largest city in the United States. Um, so uh, Archbishop Glennon, when he arrives in 1903, he realizes that, you know, this. while the old cathedral is a beautiful building, it's relatively small and it doesn't befit the city as it's growing uh, by leaps and bounds. So he commissions the building of the new cathedral on Lindell, which is consecrated in 1926, so 100 years after the founding of the Diocese of St. Louis. So when the new cathedral is consecrated as his Episcopal seat, it now becomes the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis, which then sort of demotes the old cathedral, which was still then the Cathedral of St. Louis. Now it just becomes the Church of St. Louis, King of France. But now you have two churches in the same city, named after St. Louis, King of France. And then in 1961, if I remember correctly, That's correct. we received some good news from Rome about that little church underneath what is now becoming the arch. They're starting to build the arch. It's no longer going to be known as the Church of St. Louis. That's right. So uh, in, in, 19, in the 1960s, in the late 1950s and 1960s, of course, right there where the old cathedral is, the new arch grounds are being put in. So they're, they're taking down all of those old decrepit warehouses that were there that were no longer in use, tearing those down, turning that into park grounds, and at the same time building this new magnificent arch. So 
Cardinal Ritter, who was the Archbishop of St. Louis at the time, thought it would be befitting to have the old cathedral, one, um, renovated to befit uh, its status as really the front door of St. Louis. So all these tourists that are going to be coming in to see the arch, the first thing they're going to see is the arch, the beautiful grounds, and then this beautiful old cathedral that's right there. So he wanted to make sure it was in good shape and ready for all these tourists. So that's one thing they do is they renovate what's then colloquially known as the old cathedral, but still just the Church of St. Louis. And then at the same time, he petitions Rome to have that structure named a minor basilica, which is granted in, uh, as you say, 1961. So now, not only do we have two churches named after St. Louis, King of France, but we also have two basilicas named after St. Louis, King of France. All right. Now, we have talked many times about celebrating your patron feast your patronal feast. That's what we're talking about with Eric today. We've talked about having processions. We've talked about maybe even if it's just the the feast of your baptismal name, having a a special dessert and prayers at dinnertime with the family, a simple celebration. Let's look at a grand celebration for a moment, and maybe this can inspire us to do something, probably not this grand, but to do something at our parishes when we celebrate our patronal feast days in 1970. There is a fantastic celebration of our patronal feast of this city, of this archdiocese. Eric, tell us a little bit about what happened in 1970 and why that year is an important year in the context of all of these celebrations that go back to the landing of Shoto and Laclede on the riverfront. So 1970, was an, it was an interesting year. It was, it was this really fantastic confluence of these anniversaries that come together in one year. Um, So first, uh, it is the 700th anniversary of the death of St. Louis, which is also his feast day, August 25th, 1270, was the date of his death. So obviously 1970 is the 700th anniversary of that. And then at the same time, it's also the bicentennial of the first structure on the grounds where the old cathedral was. The first structure was built in 1770, so 1970 was the bicentennial of that. So the archdiocese, to celebrate that really great confluence of of anniversaries, uh, they petition the church in Paris to ask that a reliquary of relics of St. Louis, King of France, uh, specifically, I think they were the bones of his arm, be transported to St. Louis to celebrate that unique occasion. That was granted, so... The reliquary is transported from Paris to St. Louis. It's met at the airport by the mayor and Cardinal Carberry at the time. They um, escort the reliquary to the art museum, where the art museum displays the reliquary for four days. So this was not just a celebration, kind of an insular celebration by the church. It was a celebration by the entire city. The entire city gets back this celebration and veneration of, of St. Louis, King of France. I mean, you can even see that. So at, at that time, so those four days, you have the reliquary of St. Louis, King of France, and then right outside the art museum, you have the apotheosis of St. Louis, the big statue, the, the big equestrian statue of St. Louis that really overlooks the entire city. And in one specific spot, you have this sort of veneration of St. Louis on a civic scale. So his reliquary is there for four days, and then after that, Uh, they mount a huge procession from the art museum all the way down to the old cathedral. So it winds its way through the entire city, really. 
gets to the old cathedral, and then it's venerated there at the old cathedral, and which culminates in a mass on October 25th, 1970. And then in addition to that, it was decided at the time um, when uh, Bishop Rosati passed away, he was uh, the first bishop of St. Louis, and really the old cathedral was his cathedral. He commissioned it in 1831, and it was consecrated in 1834 during his time in St. Louis. Now, when you say that, you mean the, the building that stands today, the, not the that's, first church. But. That's the, the building that stands okay. today. That's his cathedral, yeah. But uh, when he was bishop here, he did several uh, missions for the Holy Father, and he was actually away on one of those missions for the Holy Father when he unfortunately passed away in 1843. Uh, so he was initially interred with the Vincentian Fathers in Italy uh, in 1954, we petitioned to have his remains brought back to St. Louis. That petition was granted, and he was first interred in the crypt of the new cathedral where most of the uh, bishops of St. Louis are interred. But in 1970, it was decided since that old cathedral has that special status of, you know, not only was it his cathedral, but it was the first cathedral of the Diocese of St. Louis, Let's go ahead and have his remains moved. So there was a procession for Bishop Rosati. There was a funeral mass that was held, and then he was interred at the old cathedral in 1970 as well. Wow, so that's, that's a grand celebration. And I, I think of that, just that not just the Catholic Church celebrating, but on the civic scale, that the whole city is coming together to venerate these remains of our patron saint. And I imagine there were many that didn't know quite what that meant. Maybe they thought, oh, this is just a neat opportunity to be in the presence of his remains. But I would imagine there was a lot of grace imparted during those four days. And then a procession all the way across town to a church that, if if I remember correctly from one of the uh, conversations you and I have had in the past, if you stand at the doors of the current building, the old cathedral, and you look to Bush Stadium, that would have been the wilderness. That would have been the edge of the city. And so how much our city's grown and now this grand procession. So Eric, I think this is fantastic for us as we get ready to celebrate our feast to to say, let's get outside of our buildings. How can we celebrate not just within our churches, but how can we take the celebration of our patron saint out to the community around us? And I think that's a question that all of us listening, whether we're in St. Louis or in other dioceses, We all have these big days we celebrate. How can we take the spiritual celebrations outside of the church buildings? There's a lot of fascinating history about this diocese. Uh, A couple resources we want to throw your way. First off, there's a beautiful museum about the new cathedral underneath the new cathedral. It's it's a lot about the mosaics, but there is some history. Uh, You can also pray outside of the crypt of several of our deceased bishops. Uh, Soon... Yes. There's going to be a reopening of the museum that's at right. the old cathedral, and that's coming. What month do we anticipate that? We're hoping end of October we can we can get that back open again, and that's that's one of our that's been one of our big projects uh, the last couple of years is re uh, reinterpreting and um, re uh, renovating that space so we can have a great space to really talk about not just not just the Catholic Church in St. Louis, but the unique way that the Catholic faith and the city and the diocese are tied to this area. And if you'd really like to go in-depth on that, our own Monsignor Michael John Witt, host of Church History here on Covenant Network, has several programs on our website at ourcatholicradio.org, but also on Friday mornings currently at 8.30 a.m. You can hear those episodes about the history of the city and the Archdiocese, so all wonderful ways to tune in. Eric, I want to thank you for being with us 
We're getting ready to celebrate a saint, friends. But first, we're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. A prayer for the holy souls. O Lord Jesus Christ, King of glory, deliver the souls of all the faithful departed from the pains of hell and from the bottomless pit. Deliver them from the lion's mouth, that hell not swallow them up, that they fall not into darkness, but let the holy standard-bearer Michael bring them into the holy light which you promised to Abraham and his seed. Amen. Well, we have been talking today about ways we've celebrated our patron saint here in St. Louis in the past. I'm happy to have with us Anna Kalinowski from the Oratory of Saints Gregory and Augustine, who is here to talk about this year's fourth annual Festival of St. Louis as we get ready for our Patrons Feast Day on Friday. Anna, it's good to have you with us here on Roadmap to Heaven. Thank you. It's great to be here, Adam. Now, this is the the fourth annual festival. It's I, I always have joyful memories of the very organic beginnings of this, the, a group of St. Louisans coming together and saying, you know, especially at a time that was a little dark where it was, you know, we were questioning all of these people of the past and applying today's standards. And, and some folks came together and said, no, this is a saint and he's a good saint and he's a saint worthy of our, our veneration and our imitation. And from that, from just praying the rosary together at this wonderful statue of St. Louis in Forest Park, we've grown to this wonderful annual celebration of his feast day yeah. culminating in a, in a beautiful procession. So tell us what's on tap this year. What do we have to look forward to as part of the Festival of St. Louis? Right. So this year we have all kinds of beautiful prayer opportunities and also celebration, of course. So um, it's just a long schedule starting the evening before will be First Vespers, and that's a beautiful liturgy chanted by many very devout singers and um, that really kicks off the feast. So the feast doesn't start at midnight or the morning of the 25th. It starts the evening of the 24th with First Vespers. And uh, many faithful enjoy that. And then the next day, there are more opportunities to pray the divine office. Um, there will be a solemn mass at 10 a.m. on the 25th. And for those who aren't able to get off during the day, because that's a Friday, so you might still have work, um, there are evening activities. The procession is always really well-loved by the faithful people from all over the city and the greater archdiocesan area come to walk from the Oratory of St. Gregory and Augustine, which is at St. Luke's Church, to Forest Park, to the statue of St. Louis, and they pray the rosary there. And, and then there's just a great celebration afterwards. Indeed, in, in such a great history of processions, not just at the oratory, but really in the life of the Catholic Church. Anna, I love how you're starting the night before, because I think of my kids, honestly, on any any celebration day, whether it's their birthday or Christmas. It's like, can can we maybe have one present the yeah. night before? And, and every now and then Beth and I are like, okay, one, one small present. Uh, so we're starting the night before with St. Louis. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's almost like the feast spills over. It can't be contained in just that one day. And um, it being on the 25th is also really significant. Like Christmas is on the 25th. So we call it Lewis Smith because it really is a, just such a wonderful celebration of our spiritual father, Lewis, the King of France. Now, when we talk about that celebration, and, and we'll get to the fun part, because as Catholics, we like to pray and party. Mm -hmm. um, but let's talk about the prayer for a moment. This is a lot of prayer throughout the course of two days. Yeah. And some might say, well, 
why so much prayer? But really, when we look at it, this is really just the the rhythm of life in the liturgical life of the church, that all of these prayers that are happening throughout the evening of the 24th, the day of the 25th, culminating in the procession, with the exception of the procession, are pretty much daily activities, no matter who the saint is or what the day is in the life of the right. church. So this is just a great way to say, all right, we've got a saint. Let's ask him to pray for us right. and pray with us. And imitate his example as well, because he was very devoted to the daily mass and also the divine office. And we consider the prayer fun because um, there's something really nourishing about it and something really glorious about it. And so it feeds us. And then we we um, enjoy our celebrations that much more after we've prayed. I think of any, again, going back to birthdays, we say, how would you like to celebrate today? That's not, that's a very common question that we ask of the person celebrating the birthday. They say, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. You go do that. So I love how you just said, St. Louis, he went to daily mass. He prayed the liturgy of the hours. If we were to say, how would you like to celebrate your day? It's reasonable to think he'd say, I'd like to celebrate with you yeah. in prayer. Now, it's a hot week. We've been hearing about that all week long from Mike Roberts. And this procession really is the capstone, the highlight uh, in, in many ways. I, I hear so many great stories every year of the procession kind of cresting Art Hill. Mm-hmm. And you see the, the statue of the Blessed Mother being carried in procession and everyone praying the rosary. Mm-hmm. What should we expect this year for the procession, especially given how hot it will be? Yeah. So first of all, the procession is just beautiful. Um, We will have flags, we'll have banners, we'll have Knights of St. John and Knights of Columbus. We'll have a relic of St. Louis, the Blessed Mother, as you said, many people chanting beautiful um, music from the Crusades, and then also hymns that we all know, like Hail Holy Queen. So there's so much going on. You really don't even think about the heat. It's, It's well worth any discomfort, but we have great people, volunteers handing out water. And um, once everyone arrives at Forest Park, there is a shuttle that can take people back if they parked at St. Luke's Church. So um, there are so many great volunteers, especially the Knights of Columbus, helping out that uh, most people really enjoy the event. And we've had very hot ones before. So um, yeah, St. Louis always looks after us with, with the heat and any discomfort that we might have as as pilgrims and crusaders on the way. And I know in years past, uh, organizers have said, if you're worried that you might not be able to complete the procession, you know, whether it's the distance or mm-hmm. the heat, you're always welcome to go straight to Art Hill, Absolutely. to the Apotheosis, and wait for the procession to greet the procession mm-hmm. and join in prayer as well. Yeah, you can do it however works best for you. There's There's options for everyone. Now, mindful of you who are listening outside of St. Louis, and you're saying, well, I'm not going to be able to drive in. That's a couple hours away. I think there's a great lesson in this for you and I, and that's that on all of our saints' feast days, whether it's your baptismal name, your confirmation name, your patron saint for your profession, uh, there's an opportunity to celebrate with your saints, to pray and to grow in holiness together. But Anna, I want to ask some more about this procession, because maybe our listeners in other cities are saying, well, perhaps we'll organize for our parish's feast day, a procession. What are some of the comments you get from just the general public as the procession goes by? Yeah, they're just asking, what is this? And they see us and they're really awestricken, like when we pass the hospital, St. Mary's, and they're they're smiling, they're seeing all these people of different ages, and we'll just tell them this is the Feast of St. Louis, and we can't really stop, we keep going. But um, we're really just showing that we don't stay in a box, like when we pray, this is part of the faith, and that 
we share this and um, and bring the beauty of the faith and culture to the world around us. So I think it's, it is very inspirational for people. And we also leave a path behind us because we have actually 24,000 yellow rose petals that we scatter along the way. And so you'll see the path that the procession took with this. So it, it's that's really like a physical example of how we sort of leave our mark with the with the beauty of the faith. I have many fond memories of processions and, and prayer events like this when I was a kid and into my adult life. But there's also some fun at the end, a little fellowship once the procession concludes. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we have Ted Drew's frozen custard for for those that would like it. And many families also will bring like a picnic. And I think some people might go out to a restaurant afterwards. But always after the rosary concludes at the statue, there's just a lot of milling around and visiting. And people will see friends from other parishes, priests that they might have not seen for a while because it draws people from all over the archdiocese and people from out of state come in sort of as pilgrims as well. So it's just great community and enjoy. Very good. Anna, you've given us our marching orders quite literally for the procession. And again, you know, whether you're in the St. Louis metro area, whether you want to come to the St. Louis metro area for the Festival of St. Louis, all are welcome. If you're outside this part of our listening area and you're saying, Maybe we could organize something here. I highly encourage you to look into it. It's a great witness to the faith to have these public processions. And I don't think you'll regret it if you do. Now, for our listeners saying, wow, there's a lot of information that you just gave us, Anna. Yeah. There's a website they can go to for even more information or to reference this all over there again. There is, yeah. For times and locations, just go to festivalofstlouis.com and saint is spelled out. So festivalofstlouis.com. All right. So there you have it. Festival of St. Louis, S-A-I-N-T-L-O-U-I-S. That takes me back to my pep band days at St. Louis University. <laughs> um, festivalofstlouis.com. Anna, it's been great to have you with us on Roadmap to Heaven. We have gone a little long here, so we are going to take a break. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. Vocation Prayer for Youth O Holy Spirit, Spirit of wisdom and divine love, impart your knowledge, understanding, and counsel to youth that they may know the vocation wherein they can best serve God. Give them courage and strength to follow God's holy will. Guide their uncertain steps. Strengthen their resolutions. Shield their chastity. Fashion their minds. Conquer their hearts. And lead them to the vineyards where they will labor in God's holy service. Amen. Once again, Father Michael Rainier is with us with some questions that children have asked. And Father, we started on Monday with a liturgical question. Why do you wear that hat, the Beretta? Yesterday we got into more of a philosophical question. Did the animals cry when Jesus was crucified? I'd like to go back to one of these liturgical questions. And it's uh, one that I I think even my kids have asked me at one point, not about you, but about another priest. Why, Why do you keep your fingers pressed together during the Eucharistic prayer through the distribution of Holy Communion? I think it's a great question, and it shows that the kids are paying attention to the smallest details. So simply the way that the priest's fingers are are being held during the Mass, they see it. So when I was asked that question for the first time, a kid's asked me this question a lot, but the first time I remember thinking, oh, I need to I need to pay attention and focus when I'm at the altar because these kids are watching me. So I need to make sure I'm not doing anything that would give them a bad example. 
but there's really a simple reason for why the priest might, he doesn't have to, but it's an old habit or an old custom. So you might see a priest do it, you might not see him do it. But the reason that I do it, it's a very simple reason, and it's out of Eucharistic devotion and Eucharistic reverence. So the priest's fingers are only pressed together after the consecration. So when the priest picks up the host and he says the words of institution, and suddenly he's holding the body of our Lord. So from that moment until after he distributes communion and he's able to purify his fingers with water, he keeps his fingers pressed together. It's really the thumb and the pointer finger on both hands because those are the four fingers that have touched the host. And what can happen if you've never really been in a sacristy working with hosts or seen them up close, uh, they can have little particles on them. Uh, that's why often you'll see a server holding that paten, the, the, the gold tray under the hands or under the, the chins of the people as they receive Holy Communion, and that's to catch any particles that might fall off so they don't go onto the ground. Well, the priest doesn't want any particles that might be stuck on his fingertips to fall onto the ground and be lost, and so he keeps his fingers pressed together so that we won't lose our Lord. You'll often see the priest kind of rubbing those two fingers together over the chalice, and what he's trying to do, what I'm trying to do is if I see a particle there, or if there's any chance, you rub it off. So, so you'll see me do that maybe five to ten times at various points during the Mass. And then after distribution of communion, I hold those, those four fingers right over my chalice, and then the altar server pours the water over them. And then I dry my fingers off, and from that moment, my fingers are, are not pressed together anymore. And, and after the altar server pours that water over your fingers, you consume the contents of the chalice. Right. right, right. So it's all about all those little details, all those little habits surrounding the distribution of communion and how the priest handles it. That's every single piece of it is so that no part of our Lord falls on the ground and is desecrated. Wow. What a great question for a child to ask. Father, thanks for sharing that with us today. You are welcome. Prayer for Charity O my Jesus, Thou art very true love, enkindled in my heart the divine fire which consumes the saints and transforms them into You. O Lord our God, we offer Thee our hearts, united in the strongness and most sincere love of brotherhood. We pray that Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament may be the daily food of our souls and bodies, that Jesus may be established as the center of our affections, even as he was for Mary and Joseph. Finally, O Lord, may sin never disturb our union on earth, and may we be eternally united in heaven with thee and Mary and Joseph and with all the saints. Amen. We stop on this Wednesday for our Daily Dose of Encouragement, where Patty Schneier is sharing power prayers with us. Patty, what is our prayer today? Well, these are just power prayers I say a lot all day long, shine light on darkness, or Jesus, have your way. Today is a really simple one. Many of you may say this all day long. I say it before I do anything, really. Uh, come, Holy Spirit, take over. It's a very conversational prayer. I'm saying, come, Holy Spirit, but then I just say, Take over, as in take over the situation. I always pray this prayer before I ever give a talk at any conference, at any parish. I'm praying, Lord Jesus, take over, meaning take over my words, take over my tone, take over this entire talk. I want the Holy Spirit to take over my entire being and my thoughts. So whenever you have a big project, maybe you're planning an event, maybe you're giving a speech, maybe you're making a presentation at work, or maybe you're taking a test. 
anything that you have big that's on your agenda, maybe you need to just pray this prayer. Teach this to your kids to say before every single test, Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, take over. And then pray for the gifts, the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon you. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, piety, fortitude, fear of the Lord. Come Holy Spirit, take over. Yet another great prayer for us and a simple one we can pray each and every day, multiple times per day. Patty, thank you for this encouragement. Well, we have come to the end of our show, but as we wrap up, you know, to all day today, we've been, well, for most of the show today, I should say, we've been talking about celebrating our patron saint, and just one of our patron saints in particular on today's show, but it reminds me of something that uh, Father Wade Menezes has shared with us on the show before, and he has often said when I've spoken with him here on Roadmap to Heaven, Adam, we have to remember that the saints were the contemporaries of their time living a life of holiness so that we could follow their example and be the contemporaries of our time living a life of holiness. And so while we've been talking about this wonderful saint we're going to celebrate on Friday, and we really haven't got into a biographical story about St. Louis, we've done that before on the show, think of all of our patron saints You know, they were people that lived an everyday life in many ways. Now, some were kings and many were not. Uh, Many were just average, everyday, ordinary laymen and women who lived lives of extraordinary virtue. Why? Because they sought to do one thing, do God's will. And some of them didn't have that conversion to try and do that until after a notorious period of sinning. But even they became saints. The lesson for us is today, let's strive to do God's will. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. For Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright. I want to thank you for listening to Roadmap to Heaven this morning. Radio listeners, I encourage you to check out the Roadmap to Heaven podcast wherever you get your podcast, or you can get it at ourcatholicradio.org. We're going to have some bonus content for you today, so tune in for that. And just go search Roadmap to Heaven wherever you get your podcast. You'll find us there. In the meantime, thanks for being with us this morning, and don't forget to pray your rosary today. All right, so Eric Fair was with us on the show yeah. today, and we're going to stick around a little bit after the show here <laughs> as well. You're getting a lot of bonus St. Louis content Sounds today. Good to me. The, I love talking about it. On the Roadmap mm-hmm. to Heaven podcast. So, Eric, we talked during the show about the founding of the city and really from the outset, the devotion to St. Louis, the naming. I mean, Shoto and Laclede said, we're going to name this place for St. Right. Louis the Ninth. Uh, the church that later became the cathedral, that then became the old cathedral because we built the new cathedral, and then becomes the Basilica of St. Louis, King of France. And now we have the new cathedral that is also designated a basilica. So it's the yeah. cathedral basilica of St. Louis. We talked about the 1970 civic celebration where his arm, the reliquary containing his arm, was brought to the art museum for four days and then a grand procession through town That's to the right. old cathedral, the reinterment of Bishop Rosati at the old cathedral. Right. We didn't even get to 2014 and some of the things that happened in this diocese. So tell us a little bit about 2014. Uh, 2014, uh, we talked about how how these unique events and how this unique history is both a confluence of, of the faith and the people of St. Louis. And in 2014, you see this again 
2014 was the 250th anniversary of the founding of the city. So uh, all over the city, there's all these little micro-celebrations uh, dealing with these specific locations and how they tie into the history of the city. Well, of course, you can't celebrate the history of the city without talking about the history of the Catholic Church. So uh, what better way to celebrate the history of the Catholic Church here in town than by celebrating uh, the feast day of St. Louis, King of France? And so that's exactly what we did. So on August 25th, 2014, we held a high mass at the Cathedral Basilica, the new cathedral. And at that high mass, it was celebrated by then Archbishop Carlson, Archbishop Emeritus Regali, uh, Cardinal Regali, uh, the Archbishop of Reims in France, and then uh, invited and attended was the Duke of Anjou, who was the most direct descendant of St. Louis, King of Ninth. He is from the House of Bourbon. Wow. Wow. So I can't think of a better way to celebrate that. You know, we've, we've always had the space in St. Louis to, to recognize the faith of, of the people here in St. Louis. Um, you know, Archbishop Glennon, every year on uh, August 25th on the feast, he would host a radio program and talk about the faith. And we have some of those recordings of those radio programs. In fact, one of the most interesting ones is one he did on August 25th, 1940. So he's not only talking about the faith, talking about the biography of St. Louis uh, and why uh, St. Louis is important to both us and to the Catholic faith in general, but then he also gets into a little bit about what's going on at the time in the world, and he talks about the dark clouds that are forming in Europe and about the dangers of war uh, that they are facing, and that um, he, he basically uses the broadcast as a warning of what could be coming next for us. Wow. One of these days, I'm going to have to finagle an invitation over to the archives and, and just have, have a little... I, I, I'm going to say nerd out over there <laughs> and, and, and see some of the, the great historical artifacts and the, the records that you have there. But, Eric, it's it's always great to talk with you. Thanks for coming by today, and thanks for sticking around after the show for a few minutes on our oh, podcast. Yeah. Appreciate it. Glad to do so.